nursing industry is one of the fastest growing career forces in the world today. There are so many issues in the healthcare field these days relating to nurses that simply are not discussed in the media. Welcome to Once a Nurse, Always a Nurse, exploring the world of nursing with Leanne Meyer. Our program will help you with the most relevant information if you're in the nursing field or are planning to enter the industry. Now, here is your host, Leanne Meyer. Welcome back again on this Monday to Once a Nurse, Always a Nurse, Exploring the World of Nursing. And I just want to, uh, before I get started here, let you know, those of you who are expecting to hear Carol Lunsford um, from Holly Blue, uh, we had to reschedule um, and we will have to let you know when that reschedule uh, uh, time will be, uh, hopefully in the next couple of weeks. And we'll put an announcement out when that happens. So consequently, I had called up a good friend that's been on the show before, and his name is Joe Tai. So this is really kind of an off-the-cuff show, and we're just going to have a nice little conversation here with I'm having tea, and if he's having coffee, that works out great. So um, just want to introduce this. We're calling this show today, Everyday Courage in Extraordinary Times. Uh, fear is a reaction. Courage is a decision. These eight powerful words are from my guest Joe Tai's new class, Everyday Courage in Extraordinary Times. I'm going to say them again slowly. Let them sink in. Fear is a reaction. Courage is a decision. I believe everything in our life, our successes, joys, mediocrity, losses, and failures can be traced back to decisions we have made along the way at critical moments of our lives. We are currently in a time of great historic significance. The decisions each of us make, whether we see ourselves as people of power, hard workers, cogs in some wheel, are not important at all. Will these decisions will impact not only our future, but that of our country and our world for perhaps centuries to come? It all comes down to courage. I personally believe that we each have the possibility to learn courage, even if we do not feel particularly courageous as we are now. My guest has developed a class just for those people, you and me. Everyday Courage in Extraordinary Times. So please welcome with me Joe Tai, who is the founder and head coach of Values Coach, a firm that is obsessively focused on helping hospitals build a positive culture of ownership with courses on values-based life and leadership skills. So Joe, welcome. Thank you so much. And give us a little well, overview. You, You're welcome. Um, you've been on the show before, but this group may not be familiar with you. So give us a quick overview of your career. And then why is this topic important and why now? Well, I'm a recovering hospital administrator. Mm-hmm. Um, I was uh, I worked for many years at the University of Iowa Hospitals and Clinics, uh, went on to business school and then became chief operating officer at several different large hospitals. And a little over 25 years ago, started Values Coach to work with mm-hmm. hospitals primarily on on values and culture. And um, you know, I've I've done a lot of writing and and a fair amount of speaking. And one of the first books I did, the first book I did 25 years ago, was called Never Fear, Never Quit. 
Mm-hmm. And I've thought a lot about courage and perseverance since we've developed a course on personal values called the 12 Core Action Values. And in that course, um, Core Action Value number four is courage, and number five is perseverance. Um, and, of course, that book and that course were all developed before everything that has happened since the beginning of this year. Right. And it's more important now than ever. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, lead us in. How did you get started with this um, uh, course itself? Uh, Was that something someone else asked you? Is it something just from your observations? You said, yeah, let's let's do this now. Well, really more the latter, except uh, when I talk with leaders at the hospitals we work with and I ask, how are your people doing? The three words that I hear most often in this order are exhausted, anxious and frustrated. Yeah. And and those, you know, the underlying emotion for a lot of that is anxiety. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's funny, um, 25 years ago, Robert Gerzon wrote a book called Finding Serenity in the Age of Anxiety. <laughs> 25 yeah. years ago. I mean, since then, we've had 9-11, two wars, COVID-19, economic uh, vicissitudes, yep. and the anxiety level today is extraordinary and, and climate change climate craziness and, and climate change probably yeah. uh, bigger than all of it we're seeing it mm-hmm. in hurricanes in forest fires in in our yeah. grandchildren flooding future, you know flooding rainstorms um i think yeah. iowa just had a whole uh, uh time period when it was winds and hail and and rain that wiped out a lot of the crops My neighbor, I I live in Iowa, we had that Derosha, and, you know, we had, um, where I live, the the wind was only about 110 miles an hour, but right up the road, it was 140. A good friend of mine still has a tree in her bedroom. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Yeah, well, that's one way to have a tree house. I don't think I'd want to try it, though. (laughs) Yeah. A local meteorologist said, you know, I studied this stuff in college. I do it every day, and I'd never even heard of an inland hurricane, which is, what you know, right. what we had. Wow. So, yeah. Let's go, let's um, go back to lot, our topic There's a lot to be. Here. There is. Yeah, it's just so, so much. No wonder people are anxious. And the other thing is, if you are somebody who has never learned to deal with your anxiety, then you're an especially big problem because every area that you've not dealt with before is coming up in addition to all of these real things that are also uh, in our lives currently. So let's talk about yeah. that. What's the difference between anxiety, fear, and worry? And and um, how do we take off those um, negative glasses? But I don't know that we want to be putting on rose-colored glasses. We want to look at the whole thing, right? Yeah. Um, you know, I, and you know, I'm not speaking as a psychiatrist or psychologist, mm-hmm. but really as somebody who's uh, worked on this a lot, thought about it, read a lot. Here's my take. Uh, anxiety is a generalized sense of dread. It's like a black cloud out on the horizon. It's nonspecific. Mm-hmm. It's mm-hmm. like feeling the other shoes about to drop, but not knowing what it is or where it's going to come from. Um, fear, on the other hand, is specific. You're afraid of something. You know, mm-hmm. anxiety is a black cloud. Um, fear is the raging storm. You can feel it. You can hear it. Um, and worry is the forecast of more raging storms. So like anxiety, fear is future-focused. 
or um, I'm sorry, worry is future focused. Uh, and it, but like fear, it's specific. You're not worried just about everything. You're worried about something. Mm-hmm. And here's the problem. Um, uh, Paul Tillich, uh, theologian back in the 50s, wrote a book called The Courage to Be. And he wrote about anxiety. And he said, the problem with anxiety is because it is the most painful emo- human emotion. And it's so painful because it's nonspecific. You don't mm-hmm. know why you feel that way. It tries to become fear. You will, mm-hmm. the higher your anxiety level, the more you will find things to be afraid of. Right. And fear makes people stupid. People make bad decisions. Um, they say things that they later regret. They don't do things they should do because fear is holding them back. Edward Hallowell, uh, one of the most thoughtful psychiatrists in America, um, wrote a book on toxic worry. And he said, the worst learning disability of all is simple garden variety fear. Right. Because fear of asking questions makes you stupid. You don't get answers. Fear of trying makes you stupid because you don't learn from experience. Well, and, and with that, and so, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, uh, it it seems like everybody is taking the same facts, data kind of thing, and then filtering them through their own perspective and not making any effort to look at what other perspective there might be. So if their perspective is per, pretty much doom and gloom, then every single thing they hear, they filter it through that that vessel and they're like trying to, um, you know, fight or flight. They're trying to take action in some way, shape or form. And like you said, if you're if you're not operating out of, out of a higher life condition or higher place in your brain, you're going to make really dumb decisions. Yeah. Um, you know, if you're wearing um, dark sunglasses, you don't see rainbows. They're out mm-hmm. there, but you can't see them. Mm-hmm. And that's what anxiety does, um, high levels of anxiety. Uh, what happens, and again, this is um, this is a lay concept, but um, what happens is at a cognitive level, um, your brain gets distorted when you're in a, in a high anxiety state at three at three levels memories get distorted when you're Mm -hmm. in a high anxiety state um, all of your past failures and rejections really big and and certain to be repeated your current perceptions get distorted Um, it's easy much easier to see the worst than the best when you're in a state of high anxiety Mm -hmm. and the threats seem much more magnified your own resources seem much more minimal and your future vision gets distorted. You know, anybody who's ever lost a job knows you're much more likely to have a mental picture of you and your family under a bridge than you and your family having started the successful business or found the great next job. Mm-hmm. And what happens is that those negative uh, memories and perceptions and, and visions um, can become self-fulfilling prophecies if they affect your behavior. Couldn't agree more. It's because you're look what you're looking at is uh, what you're thinking about. What you're thinking about are the words you start to say to yourself in your mind and to other people, and those words then somehow turn into action, and those actions become your life. And um, yeah, that is phenomenal. Well, and it's it's um, compounded when you're in a state of um, physical exhaustion. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, as you know, many nurses are there today. Um, it's compounded when um, there really are 
things to worry about, you know, if you're mm-hmm. on furlough or, um, you know, you've got a family member who's um, sick or dying of COVID. I mean, those are very real things. Mm-hmm. Um, but you have to somehow be able to separate what's going on internally, mentally from what's going on in, in your world if you're going to make good decisions about it. Right. I just ran across this uh, quote this morning, actually, from one of my previous guests from Australia, Martin Dearlove. He's a social worker, and that's his real name, by the way, Dearlove. Um, but it's a picture of a man in front of a, a painting of a fire, a blazing fire, and he's holding his hands up to the, the painting. And he says, uh, and the, the quote says, most people don't really want the truth. They just want constant reassurance that what they believe is the truth. It's just kind of really impactful as you think about it. Here's this person not having a, a fire, but a, a painting of a fire and trying to warm themselves on that. So tell me yeah. uh, about, I know that depression and anxiety can really, you started to talk a little bit about it. It kind of, they feed off of one another and uh, it just kind of, makes it go even deeper. So talk a little about that. Well, you know, back to Gerzon's book, Finding Serenity in the Age of Anxiety, he had what I thought was a very useful um, explanation. He talked about the comfort zone, which Mm -hmm. sounds, you know, comforting, but it's really a pretty dangerous place to spend your life. And he said that comfort zone is bounded by two walls, the wall of anxiety and the wall of depression. Hmm. On the other side of the wall of anxiety is growth. You know, Mm -hmm. we want to do something. We want to get a PhD. We want to write a book or start a business. We have to work our way through that anxiety. If we don't, if we fail, if we quit, we bounce back to our comfort zone, but we don't just stop there. We get depressed. And, Hmm. um, and if we stay down there, you know, that's when, you start putting on those uh, doom sunglasses and pick yourself up and try again. Mm -hmm. And if you succeed, what you do is you push the walls of your comfort zone out so that you Mm -hmm. grow and the wall of depression gets farther away. You you become stronger at getting through the wall of anxiety. And if you don't, um, then the walls start to constrict and you start, um, being less and less when you look in the mirror. I, I love this uh, image I found on the internet and use it a lot. Um, it's a tabby cat looking in the mirror right. and seeing a lion look back. And, yeah, you know, I've seen that. It's a life. wonderful picture. It is a, yeah. a beautiful metaphor. And there's and it an seems artist like... uh, whose name eludes me right now, but she did a painting called Norman Catwell, you know, a takeoff <laughs> on Norman Rockwell. Yeah. And the Uh cat is looking in the mirror and seeing the lion look back, but also painting a picture of the lion. And, you know, that takes it to the next step. It's not Uh enough just to look and see this is who I could be if I didn't let fear stop me. You have to be willing to actually do the work. So how do you make that first step? That's probably the hardest. It just seems like when you're in that feeling, when you're literally vibrating and all you can see, and to me, it seems like it's um, the extremes. It's this extreme or that extreme. Both of those are horrible and there's nothing else in between. So how do you get out of that vibrating 
place and start moving forward? You know, back in the in the sixties, they say if you can remember the sixties, you must not have I been can. there. I was. <laughs> I was but, a child, so uh, I get credit for sixties. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the flower child era. But Ram Das um, wrote a book called Be Here Now. Mm-hmm. And you know, it's about space and it's about time. You know, don't mm-hmm. be in another zip code, don't be in another time zone. And I think when you're in that vibrating state, when you're ping-ponging back between anxiety and depression, if you can stop, um, ask yourself, you know, what's happening, what's not happening, you know, I'm, 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 I'm furloughed, but I'm not dying, um, and what can I do about it? You know, I can find another job, I can uh, start a little business online doing something I love to do to help me pay the bills, I can... Um, um, I can uh, start saving money more effectively. What you're at a cognitive level, what you're doing is you're shifting your attention from right brain, you know, the emotional mm-hmm. side to left brain, the logical side. And there are certainly times you want to be on the right brain, you know, um, proposing marriage or looking at a rainbow. But if you're struggling with um, real world fears, you know, your job, your career, your finances, your relationships, uh, if you're making decisions out of the right brain, um, you're going to make bad decisions more often than not because that, that's where fear, that's where anxiety is. And if you give fear a name, you know, if your fear is uh, losing a job, mm-hmm. the problem is you give fear a name, it becomes a problem. The problem is uh, you're not indispensable. And if you work on how do I become more valuable to my company, you're less worried about losing the job. Right. Oh, and by the way, if you do lose the job, you're in a better position to get a better job because mm-hmm. of what you've been doing. Um, so I think that's the uh, the first step is to just take a deep breath and say, what's happening? Be be right here. Be right now. Not worrying about tomorrow. Not worrying about, you know, what's happening in the next state or in D.C. or your state capital. What, mm-hmm. what can I do right now? What's in front of me? Yeah. And. Part of that, too, I think, is um, when you give it a name, it's it's out of your head and it's in front of you somewhere. And one of the things actually my ex-husband taught me was, what are your options? I was not an option person. It was like, give me three options, I'll make a decision and move on. I, I couldn't just keep coming up with more options. But he pointed out that there are unlimited options. Um, And so then the hard part is choosing the one you want. So another friend had told me, I kept saying, well, what if I choose the wrong one? What if I choose the wrong one? And he said, there is no wrong choice. If it isn't working for you once you choose it and you're taking action in that direction, choose something else. So that was a a real eye-opener for me. Oh, my gosh, you, you can't just, you have to choose one time and then that has to work for the rest of your life. So, um yeah, so I think getting it outside of my head is one of the biggest things for me. And then figuring out it, what is one step that I can take. Yeah, you had a very wise friend. And, you know, it's not the choice you make nearly as much as the attitude and the energy and the determination you put into pursuing that choice. You know, one thing I was thinking of, too, is that in in kind of a... Uh, sideways way, 
it's it's a real opportunity for almost everybody right now because lots of people are out of work. So if you're going to your next job and you have a, a blank in your resume, nobody is going to say a word about it. They're going to, <laughs> you know, they're going to say, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I, everybody I know is uh, having this problem. And I think you can kind of, um, the other part of it is, um, I think about people who have not been in jobs that they really liked or it was not um, where they wanted to really put their soul and their heart and, you know, maybe not mission focused. So they maybe didn't do as well at that job as they would like to have that manager, you know, if and when somebody is calling them back and saying, yeah, how did that guy do? How was Joe at that job? And um, and they're afraid that what the manager is going to say is they were lousy at the job. And so many times it's because they, their heart wasn't there. And those are things that can be sort of re, reworded. What did I learn in this job? Um, maybe as opposed to what do I accomplish? So um, is that sound kind of along the line of what you're thinking of? Well, yeah. Um, you know, the, there's an old saying, one door closes, another door opens. Mm-hmm. A friend of mine likes to say, yeah, that's true, but it's hell in the hallway. Um, <laughs> but if, uh, you know, I know I know several people who had um, management positions in hospitals, and now mm-hmm. they're back working in the ICU uh, because mm-hmm. that's where the need is. And without exception, they tell me they're happier. They may not be wow. making as much money, but they're happier because this is why they got into the healing professions in the first place, not to, you know, not to do spreadsheets, but to touch people right. physically, emotionally, spiritually. This is exactly a topic I've kind of touched on it in different shows, but I just really feel like so many people are looking for something deeply meaningful in their life, whether that's relationships whether that's, um, you know, where they choose to live or uh, um, volunteering. But ultimately, I think healthcare is like the ultimate place to be doing something that is absolutely vital each and every day. And I, I agree with you. I think people that, you know, it, it's almost like, you know, somebody keeps tapping them on the shoulder and saying, you, you'd be great over here. And so they kind of keep moving to higher um, positions of authority but not necessarily uh, positions that feed their heart. Yeah. You know, um, Hurricane Laura blasted through Louisiana a couple of weeks ago. Right. And it, um, as it was flattening Lake Charles and breaking windows and blowing off roofs, and they were evacuating, um, 20 nurses stayed at St. Charles Memorial Hospital to care for these tiny babies. Oh. And, you know, one of the things that I like to say is caring is the root of courage. You know, when you, when you figure out what you care enough about, you'll find the courage. Had you asked those 20 people to stay and, you know, watch over the, the computer with our accounts receivable right. or, you know, make sure nobody pillages the freezer, they'd have said, are you crazy? The right. reason they stayed to take care of those babies was because they cared. And here's the interesting, um, you know, life is so circular. Um, some of those babies were transferred to Children's Hospital in New Orleans, a hospital mm. that we've done a lot of work with, mm-hmm. um, which was really interesting because when Katrina came through, some of the kids who were at Children's New Orleans went to St. Charles. Interesting. And, and now, um, a couple of days ago, I got a, a picture of 
leadership, uh, the leadership team from Children's Hospital New Orleans in Lake Charles, helping, oh. uh, helping in their recovery. And you know, oh, that is, that's how that you overcome fear. Wonderful. Remind yourself, why am I doing this? Why is this? Why do I care? Um, mm-hmm. That will help you find the courage to focus on what you have to do. Exactly. One of the things that keeps amazing me, and um, I'm running across it even more now with people that I would not think, they're nurturing irrational fear, and then um, it seems like they're following that lead, and again, not wanting to take anything else into account that there might be another way of looking at this or um, you know, some, something else that might change that perspective. Talk about that. You know, one of my favorite bumper stickers is, uh, it says, buckle up. It makes it harder for aliens to suck you out of the car. (laughs) That's that's an irrational fear. But how Uh many people never swim in the ocean because they saw the movie Jaws? Mm -hmm. You know, how many people stay home lonely on a weekend because they're afraid Mm -hmm. of rejection? And, you know, if you call somebody, ask to be included, ask for a date, and they say no... You're exactly where you were before, except now you know something. And so many of our fears are blown out of proportion to the to the point of being irrational, but they Mm -hmm. paralyze us nonetheless. Yeah, it's like F E A R, um, fantasized evidence appearing real. I didn't Mm -hmm. think of that acronym, but here's one that I think is even more relevant. F E A R can also be a fabulous excuse for avoiding responsibility. And how fabulous many people don't take responsibility for, for their lives or their dreams? I love that. Yeah. Yeah. F-E-A-R, fear. Fabulous excuse for avoiding responsibility. That's perfect. That is absolutely yeah. perfect. So um, I know that you had mentioned about the, the concept of pyramid of self-belief. Say, say more about that. What is that about? Well, you know, um, if you want to become the person you're meant to be, if you want to achieve the goals that are most important to you, you have to believe in yourself. And um, so the question is, well, how, how do I do that? And you have to overcome negative self-talk and, and all. But this, we've created this concept. It's sort of a construct with a pyramid where the bottom level is self-concept. What's your view of the world? Do you view the world as a place that is... Um, uh, safe or is it dangerous? Is it a world of Mm -hmm. abundance and opportunity or scarcity and and risk? And you can make a case for both. But what Mm -hmm. you choose to believe um, will define your um, behaviors. And then on that, the next block up on the pyramid is self-image. What do you see when you look in the mirror? Do you see yourself as a winner or as a victim uh, or a loser? And then the third um, block is self-esteem. Do you like what you see when -hmm. you look in the mirror? And it's not enough just to say, yeah, I do. You really have to pay attention to what's going through your head. What kind of self-talk do you have? What kind of excuses do you make? And then on top, the fourth level is self-confidence. Simply, do you feel like you have the resources you need um, to achieve your goals? And the paradox is you would think, if you want to change some aspect of your life, you'd start at the bottom with self-concept because that underpins everything else. But in fact, the place to start is often at the top, you know, with self-confidence. Um, for example, if you're constantly dealing with money troubles, 
um, that's going to cause a poor self-image. It's going to hurt your self-esteem. Of course, you don't see opportunity. You see scarcity. Um, sitting on a cushion and meditating, oh, you know, I, I see abundance, isn't going to help a whole lot. Buying Dave Ramsey's book on the total money makeover and doing what he tells you to do increases your confidence. And then mm -hmm. you start to like yourself better. You start to have a more positive self-image and you start to see the opportunities to invest, to donate. Um, and you can take that with anything, your career, uh, parenting, start at the top and work on your mm -hmm. confidence and it will ripple through. Absolutely. I think that is so, so true. We're up against a break. And this today, I just decided we're just going to take one break. So we're going to go to the break now and we'll be back just in a couple of minutes. So today we're talking about everyday courage in extraordinary times. And my guest is Joe Tai. He's the founder and head coach of Values Coach. He's a sought after consultant, speaker and author. And we will be back talking about how do we create courage in, in these difficult times. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. Now there's a new destination for video content, voiceamerica.tv. Just like our radio channels and so much more. Voice America Variety, Health and Wellness, Business, Sports, Green Talk, Power Up Motorsports, and 7th Wave Network now have their own video channel components. Plus, check out exclusive programming, including movies, music, educational courses, science and history, current events, and short features. High-definition, premier-quality programs available 24-7, voiceamerica.tv. If you think you've seen online TV like this before, let us surprise WomenInHealthcare.org, a national nonprofit, is our newest partner at Once a Nurse. It is among the most rapidly growing professional development groups for women in healthcare today. Through healthcare education, professional development, mentorship, community, and a focus on self, the organization empowers women with the tools needed to advance their careers. They use initiatives to break down barriers within organizations and equip women with the tools needed to open a powerful force for gender parity. 80% of the healthcare workforce is female, with nurses a massive majority of that percentage. But less than 20% of leadership is female. Join womeninhealthcare.org as they help all women of all ages and all levels rise up. Use code HEALTHPROS to receive $50 off the annual membership fee and receive discounted pricing for events, free resources, webinars, and a substantial discount for our annual leadership summit on October 22, 2020. WomenInHealthcare.org to be where you want to be in the world of healthcare. A fresh look at today's health. Voice America Health and Wellness. You are listening to Once a Nurse, Always a Nurse, exploring the world of nursing with host Leanne Meyer. To reach the program today, please call 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to leannevoiceamerica at gmail.com. Now, back to Once a Nurse, Always a Nurse. Welcome back. This is Once a Nurse, Always a Nurse, exploring the world of nursing. I'm Leanne Meyer, and if you're just coming back with us now, I wanted to make sure you knew that uh, although we had planned to have 
Carol Lunsford with us today from Holly Blue uh, due to un unforeseeable problems. We've had to reschedule that and we don't have a date yet. So as soon as we do, we'll make that announcement. Instead, my good friend Joe Tai has agreed to meet with me and we're having a conversation about a topic he's working on right now uh, called Everyday Courage in Extraordinary Times. And I couldn't agree with him more. So I'm really enjoying this conversation. So um, uh, Joe is uh, the founder of Head Coach of Values Coaching and um, he uh, is a sought-after consultant, speaker, author, and we've been talking about various aspects of how um, we get fearful and then how that fear can stop us. And now we're going to look into how do we help ourselves to move forward. So uh, we were just talking about the period of self-belief, and I want to talk about that again. On the bottom of the pyramid is abundance versus scarcity. What do we believe about that? And the next level is, do we see ourselves as a winner or a loser? And then the third level is, what do we see when we kind of look in the mirror? Do we see ourselves as a potential person or somebody who, who can solve problems? And then the final one, the top one, is confidence. How do we create and develop confidence so that the next time we come to a point of anxiety, we will already know we have gotten through something like this before? Is that about right or did I get it off? Joe. You got it. Good. Great. So let's go from reprogramming. You know, one of the things we do is all that negative self-talk. Uh, some people call it the voice in the head. And it's it feels some type of, uh, you know, it's like somebody's in your head and t saying all these horrible things. And we maybe it started out somebody in our past told us those things. And somewhere along the line, we started telling ourselves those things. And that's when it gets critical. When we start to believe the lies we're telling ourselves, then we're in trouble. So what do I do when I'm listening to that and believing that? Well, I have my own formula, but first let me uh, share with you what two people that I think a lot of have to say. John Gordon his, is a speaker. He's written lots of wonderful books. And he says the best advice he ever got was, don't listen to yourself, talk to yourself. And an, uh, yeah, another speaker, author, um, Cy Wakeman, who I know many of your listeners um, are familiar with, um, said the best advice she could give is don't believe everything you think. And, you know, I think, <laughs> I like of, that. yeah. And so I think of negative self-talk and you hit it. It's basically telling yourself lies about yourself believing the lies, and then they become your reality. Mm -hmm. And when you said it's like um, somebody else up there in your head, well, actually, that is exactly what it is. And if you mm -hmm. really pay attention, and most people have never, never thought of it in this way, but if you really pay attention, you'll see that negative self-talk is always and without exception in the second person. You mm -hmm. will not hear that toxic voice up there say, I'm stupid, I'm ugly, nobody likes me, I better mm -hmm. not try this. It's always as if somebody else is up there talking to you. And that's because that's exactly what it is. It is not the authentic you. Mm -hmm. It's a malignant echo of things that were said to you in the past that stuck. It's, mm -hmm. um, it's not your inner child, it's your inner spoiled brat. Mm. And all that wants to do, my friend Steve Pressfield wrote the book, The War of Art, and he talked about 
resistance, and he capitalizes the word resistance the way historians capitalize Black Plague or Great Depression. And he says, it's that inner barrier that prevents you from taking action to be creative, and its goal is to stop you. And, mm-hmm. and that's exactly what negative self-talk does. It, w- it wants you to watch TV instead of going to night school. It wants you to mm-hmm. eat donuts instead of going to the gym. It mm-hmm. wants you to feel bad about yourself instead of feeling good. And the problem, as psychologists have shown, like Mihai Csikszentmihalyi and others, um, that the human mind automatically gravitates toward negative, frightening, and depressing thoughts. That's the default, unless you're consciously structuring your thinking. But if you're hmm. just listening to yourself, as John Gordon said, it's going to be negative. And like hmm. Cy Wakeman said, it's going to tell you things that aren't true, but you, if you believe them, they become your reality anyway. Right. So, and I'm not going to go in detail into this, but we play a little game where we challenge people to visualize negative self-talk as the work of a little graffiti spray can artist. We <laughs> have a little cartoon character of a janitor come along and paint it out and replace it with something positive. Mm-hmm. And it sounds silly, but... I guarantee you what people are doing now isn't working. Yeah. <laughs> and you know the definition of insanity, doing the same thing yep. over and over and expecting a different result. And so if what you're doing now isn't working, try this, and, and this does work. Right. And Can I say not only... About it? Oh, sure. Okay. Well, um, it, just in the last, oh, 10 or 15 years, there has been an explosion of, in our understanding of how the brain works. And there's something called neuroplasticity, brain plasticity, mm-hmm. which is the ability of the human mind to rewire itself physically in response to not only experience, but also directed mental thought. And if mm-hmm. you change those bad lies, nobody likes me, into good lies, which is all affirmations are. I mean, the reason you <laughs> use affirmations is because they're not true. You, yeah. That's why yeah. you have to keep they're telling true, yourself. Yeah. And what you do is you reprogram your default thinking from negative to positive. Mm-hmm. Sounds so easy, doesn't it? <laughs> well, it's simple, <laughs> but never easy. <laughs> right. Exactly. And the other thing with that is, and something I'm seeing more now in this time of COVID and the political upheavals and all of the things that are going on, is not only are we... Um, encouraging our negative self-talk but we're trying to bring as many other people in with us to convince us that well all these other people believe the same thing as me so it must be true yeah uh, our our culture has never been more polarized since the civil war and uh it's um it's really sad that some of the things that we should be talking about we can't talk about anymore Mm -hmm. um you know, families are breaking apart, friendships are breaking apart, um, and it, it really is sad. I wrote a book recently uh, called Pray for Your Friends, mm. and it's kind of a revolutionary look at the oldest book in the Bible, the book of Job, mm-hmm. um, which, by the way, has nothing to do with patience. You know, Job was not a patient man. Oh, okay. um, he was angry. He was hostile. He was um, impatient. Um And most scholars, even, for 2,500 years have overlooked the most important words in that book. At the very end, you know, God has come out of the whirlwind, uh, terrified Job and his friends who've really not behaved as friends. 
mm-hmm. and from everything that's gone on before, you would expect God to say, you know, bow down and worship me. Mm-hmm. But instead, he says, Job, pray for your friends. Mm-hmm. And, you know, to me, that's the pivot of the whole story. Job's life changed when he stopped agonizing over his own woes, and he mm-hmm. started thinking about somebody else. Exactly. And even in psychology, that's coming out more and more and more. They say volunteers are the happiest people in the world. It's not about the money. It's about um, once you get out of your own problem, you can feel so much better because you're getting positive feedback from those people that you're helping. And you must get that a lot, I'm sure, as you go into a hospital that's struggling and be able to help people turn around or just give them some tools that allow them to turn around their own um, self-destructive stuff. Absolutely. And, you know, when I'm at Children's Hospital New Orleans, one of my favorite things to do, my side job, if you will, (laughs) is I have a, a side gig as a volunteer baby cuddler. And just being able to sit with these you know, often very sick babies and hold them. Mm-hmm. Um, it's uh, incredibly rewarding because it's not about me. Yeah. You may not know, but I'm an OB nurse from way back and a neonatal nurse. And that was one of the most wonderful things that I loved, especially on night shift when you'd have an opportunity to take a baby and sit and rock. And you couldn't help but have a huge smile on your face. And just there was just something so hopeful about this little bundle, no matter what they're going through or experiencing. It was like, this is hope. Um, anything is possible. So um, we're, yeah. we're coming a little closer and, and uh, to our end. And what I really want to make sure we talk about is something you've talked about on a previous show, and that was the pickle pledge, eradicating that toxic emotional negativity. Um, you sent me some armbands for that, and I, I started wearing those. It's a different one each day, and it made a huge difference uh, in how I went from my morning to my evening. Can you talk about that and share with that? Sure. And we actually have two. The pickle pledge is kind of the forerunner, and it just says, I will turn every complaint into a blessing or a constructive suggestion. And the self-empowerment pledge, what you're referring to, is one promise for each day of the week on personal Mm -hmm. responsibility, uh, determination, resilience, perspective, Remember I said that um, negative self-talk is telling yourself lies and believing the Mm -hmm. lies? Yes. Well, positive self-talk is also telling yourself things that aren't true yet, but you want to be true. And when you put on the wristband, when you say the words, and, you know, today's Monday, so today's promise is responsibility. So I started my day by putting on my wristband that says responsibility and repeating the promise, I will take complete responsibility for my health, my happiness, my success, and my life, and will not blame others for my problems or predicaments. And right. if you keep saying those promises over and over, and you'll, you'll break them, you catch yourself breaking them, but what you're doing is you're taking cognitive dissonance and making it work for you, because the, the gap between what you've promised yourself and how you're actually behaving you know, mm-hmm. putting things off, blaming other people becomes mm-hmm. more and more painful. And you must at some point, as you just pointed out, um, start changing your attitudes and your behaviors. And then you start getting better outcomes. Right. And you start feeling better about yourself. It's like, hmm. Absolutely. You know, 
maybe I do have more value than I thought. Yeah, the one thing um, we're again we're we're a little short on time. We've got maybe about um, four minutes. I wondered if you could talk. Uh, you had mentioned the Ned Log Rule, uh, commitment to self renewal and rejuvenation. Could you say some about that? Yeah, yeah. I tell your listeners to not try to look up Ned Log because it's not in the <laughs> dictionary. I made the word up. Oh, okay. Uh, Ned Log <laughs> is the rule. Ned Log is the word golden spelled backwards. Oh. And everybody knows the golden rule, do unto mm-hmm. others as you would have others do unto you. Mm-hmm. Um, the Ned Log rule is the golden rule in reverse. Anything you would w- be willing to do for someone else, if they ask mm-hmm. you, be willing to ask them for that help if you need it. And so many caregivers give and give and give, and they and they empty their pitcher, and then you can't pour out of an empty pitcher, and then you start hearing burnout and compassion mm-hmm. fatigue. And uh, all the things that, that, that we've been talking about for a long time and have been worsened recently. And the Ned Log rule means if, if you need a break, ask for it. If you need someone to help you, ask for it. Because um, so many of us are not willing to ask or we assume the answer is going to be no. You've got to take care of yourself. Who cares for the caregiver if the caregiver doesn't mm-hmm. do it? I would be one of those people that never could accept help. I had to always be the person giving it. And when I was very, very ill, uh, lots of injuries uh, working in OB, and I went to uh, EAP and the counselor there told me, sometimes the greatest gift you can give to someone else is allowing them to help you. Never occurred to me. Wow. Yeah, you have a very wise counselor. And isn't it true? Don't we love to feel like we're helping someone else and, you know, help one, help two. It's almost like arrogance that I'm the only one who can can help other people. And, oh, I certainly don't need any help. Why would, how could that be possible? So um, is there anything uh, that you especially would like to talk about in, say, the next four minutes or so? that you really want to make sure that that um, our guests or our listeners get. Yeah, let's go back to how you started. Fear is okay. a reaction, courage is a decision. You know, fear mm-hmm. is a natural, hardwired human emotion. We all experience it, whether it's uh, justifiable fear or or irrational fear. Courage is a decision. You know, nobody feels courage. Uh, Forrest mm-hmm. Church wrote uh, a book about courage, and uh, a late um, the late Forrest Church. And in that book, he said, "People who do brave things feel fear," and that's what I mean by everyday courage. It's it's the courage to um, to get back up when you fall down, the courage to go into a, an isolation room and take care of a COVID patient, right. um, even though you're worried about your own health. It's it's the courage mm-hmm. to confront a bully. Um, uh, even though you're not looking forward to the conversation. Um, and if you wait for the, uh, the emotion of courage, it never comes. Mm-hmm. And so you have to be willing to um, step into your fear, do what you're afraid to do. And the irony is that more often than not, the outcome will be much better than what your, your worst case um, right. projection was. Yeah. Yeah. 
I used to be an OB nurse, and one of the things I would always tell um, uh, labor and delivery patients is, especially before they went into labor, because that was usually, you know, the irrational fears of what everybody's told you and what you've seen in the horrible movies and all that kind of stuff. And I would say, imagine the worst, imagine the best, and think, how would I handle either of those two things? And if you're comfortable with those, you're going to be fine because it'll be somewhere in between that. That's great advice. Mm-hmm. And not just for um, an expectant mom. Right. That's great advice for life. Yeah. It's, uh, it's again, it's sort of that action plan. Is there one action I can take that gets me moving forward? Um, you know, and maybe it's talking to somebody else, like you said, or, um, you know, trying to figure out a new perspective or what are my options or what else could happen than the two things I don't want, especially don't want to have happen on opposite sides. It just, um, it just seems like every human being has that in some way, shape or form. We assume we're the only one. I think a lot of times we just assume everybody else has got it together and I'm the one that's just floundering here. Or I think the opposite of that is I've got it all together. It's all those people out there that don't know what they're doing. And once they get it together, I'm going to be just fine. So you got the two opposites there. But So is there anything that you leave with, or or I guess you haven't started doing this class yet, but uh, when you are, um, uh, are you envisioning how you're going to end the class? What is it you're going to have them go away with? Well, the class is going to have 20 modules, and it's 20 10-minute videos, and it's just a conversation between me oh. and, and the people watching. And the very last one, uh, the, I think the most important three words in my book, the Florence prescription, are uh-huh. proceed until apprehended. And I think that's a pretty good formula for acting with courage, and it's also a pretty good formula for what leaders must do. And so that's what the last session is going to be on being a leader um, the meaning of those three words, proceed until apprehended. Yeah. Uh, and if people aren't picking it up, uh, it's Florence Nightingale that you're referring to. And um, that yeah. was her, that was kind of her motto, wasn't it? Well, she didn't actually say those words, but that was okay. certainly um, her philosophy of getting things done. Mm-hmm. Which didn't make a lot of people happy, especially the generals and the people, the doctors that had been in charge of, of the um, hospital she was trying to improve all the way along. Um, it's the reason I think she embodied so many things that people who go into healthcare believe. They want to be doing good things for people, not just some people, but for all people. And when they're not doing that, I think it feels uh, inside out and upside down to them. And, and they're looking to find a way to, to make it right again. But if your leaders, your administration, your whoever it is, are hell-bent on doing things that are only for a, a, a monetary or some other um, theory of you know how the hospital is going to uh, function best, and leaving those relationships, those people behind, we're going to have great trouble. And it's going to be very hard for those wonderful, loving, caring um, healthcare providers and healthcare workers to come in and do the work that needs to be done to actually make it all work. 
Yeah, there's a real paradox. The hospitals we work with that are the most successful in terms of finances, in terms of their community image, all of that, are also the ones that where senior leadership cares most about the caregivers and creating that mm-hmm. environment. And mm-hmm. the ones where they're just focused on the bottom line tend to not achieve the bottom line results that they want. Yeah, and that's been proven again and again top. and again. Somehow or another, we have to keep learning that lesson. We are, unfortunately, at the end here, and so I did want to just leave a, a short message, but I especially want to thank you so much, Joe, for coming on, and I feel better talking to you than I did before we started this. So <laughs> thank you, thank you, thank you. Well, thank you for having me. It's been a lot of You're fun. Well- you're welcome. So just to end this, I wanted to say as 2020 unfolds, we'll be needing to support, encourage, and recruit more courageous healthcare leaders and nurses with wisdom, compassion, and integrity, not just in the USA, but all over the world. Tragically, some will be needed to replace courageous individuals who came to work in dire circumstances to care for patients with COVID-19 and contracted the virus. Some of those people will have survived but may struggle with moral trauma and need time to realign their world. Some have lived, or excuse me, some have died. Um, I recently started a page on my website called, or my website is www.onceanurse.com, and the page is called COVID Corner. Right now I've been calling it uh, Caring Corner because there's so much more than COVID going on to provide resources, stories, connections, and encouragement for nurses everywhere. Um, It also is on LinkedIn and Facebook, and I've just recently put it on Instagram. So please contact me, Leanne, at onceanurse.com to share your experiences of joy, sorrow, and innovation on the front lines of healthcare, wherever that may be, and whatever um, uh, courageous things you're doing in your life with your family and your communities. Um, how are you bringing a light to the world as opposed to darkening it with fear and, and more anger and, and separation? So thank you for listening. And most important, thank you for all of your contributions. Um, I hope you will tune in to us again next week on Monday. Uh, and that is Once a Nurse, Always a Nurse, Exploring the World of Nursing. And my name is Leanne Meyer, and thanks again, Joe. Well, thank you. Thank you for listening to Once a Nurse, Always a Nurse, exploring the world of nursing with your host, Leanne Meyer. Be sure to join us again next Monday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time and 1 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Have a productive and insightful week.